There is an island in the middle of the Pacific. This episode's about sun, and it's dull, listless, bland, and kind of boring. But hey, every season gets one. Welcome to the podcast, brother. Welcome to the podcast, brother. This is Losing Lost. My name is Derek Hobson. I am the younger brother. I am Pierce Nahigi, and I am the elder brother. Today we're talking about House of the Rising Sun, Season 1, Episode 6 of the ABC drama series Lost. It first aired on October 27th, 2004. And before we get started, Derek, I have a question for you. What makes a good episode of Lost? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I wish I was better prepared. (laughs) Um, I thought about telling you I was going to ask you that ahead of time, but I wanted (laughs) to see your face. I wanted to see your reaction. You know, it's funny. It's a rewatch. So obviously spoilers should be expected. When I saw that the next episode is The Moth, I had this flashback of that's a great episode. And the reason why that episode, I remember it being great is because each flashback simultaneously, you know what, I'll, 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 you know, I'll save that for next week. What I will say is in terms <laughs> of walkabout, I still think that episode is fantastic. I think it's tremendous that each flashback gives you a piece of the character that you didn't have before without rehashing the entire podcast we did on that one. I adored that each flashback, we saw a different shade of Locke's day-to-day life. We saw him at work. We saw him at home. We saw him communing with friends or people. That had a great juxtaposition to what was happening on the island where he is hunting a real-life boar where there are real-life threats. And there's this. the mystery is magical because we don't know. Well, we don't know that he's handicapped, so I guess there's that. But I I will also say that that's the other thing is the question that's lingering is not how is he able to walk? The question that's lingering is how did a dude working at office worker building become a hunter? And it's satisfied in the end in that it's like, well, he's not, he didn't become a, like, this is a, and the only reason he thinks he's able to is because of the reveal at the end, which was not a constant lingering question. It was not people because they say like, what, what is this thing? Where are we going? What is happening? Because you do just want people to answer those questions. I distinctly remember to having this conversation with you in season three, when Jack is locked somewhere, he breaks out of his room, goes up to a door and Juliet shouts, don't open that door. And Jack looks back. And as an audience member, you're like, we're going to have to spend the whole season wondering what's behind it. And Jack opens the door and the water floats. <laughs> and it was like, yes, thank you. Thank you. Don't make me beg. Um, gosh, I'm on a tangent already. What makes a good episode of Lost? I'm going to think about that. And maybe at the end of this, I'll come back to you. Um, what I, I can tell you what a good episode of Lost is not. And that's this episode, especially <laughs> in retrospect. Yeah. But what did you think of this episode? I, you know, you watched this episode before I did. And you told me that it was, you were not fond, that you did not like it. And I it felt like homework. It felt like homework is what you said. And I tried not to let that color what I was watching. In fact, I was ready to be like, no, I'm, I'm, this is going to be a great episode. I'm sure it's going to be fine. And to the show's credit, it took us six episodes to get here, but this did feel like it felt very much like a table setting episode, like it was spinning its wheels a little bit. My idea of what makes a good episode of Lost is I always found the island stuff to be more interesting, but a great episode of Lost has flashbacks that, as you mentioned with Walkabout, really gives you that extra flavor, that extra background that explains the character's actions. Things that, without context, may have seemed arbitrary or weird, getting 
the flashbacks really shows you, oh, that's how the person got to this point. That's why they're doing this. This episode felt very disconnected. It felt like they had some story points that they wanted to get to later in the season and basically were working backwards, that they put a bunch of plot points that they wanted to set up just in this episode because later on they wanted to make those pay off. It didn't feel organic. It felt like they were just, it did feel like it was just, it was just a bunch of random pieces all put together. Yes. I think generally the performances were, were good, but the, but the whole was not worth the sum of its parts. Yes. A hundred percent without jumping too far ahead, the caves even just being a prime example of being this significant on island plot point that we know in eight episodes they've abandoned entirely. I yeah, I don't know if I wanted to talk about that now or or later, but yeah, that that is also coloring my perspective on this episode because yes, it's this is going to go nowhere. <laughs> and I know that now. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, and that's what I mean, especially in retrospect, because I know not long ago we talked about how after the pilot, it really felt like the actors knew who their characters were. Mm-hmm. They were playing them well. And this is an example of, and not to criticize Eugene Kim, but she is not playing the character we know her to be uh, in retrospect. Yeah. In in this episode, it's it would be fine as an introduction, but it is hard to get past that when we know that Sun knows very well who her dad is. Yeah, and you know what? You bring up a good point that I I hadn't thought about before, which is why this doesn't qualify as a good episode for me is that we don't really learn anything about Sun in this episode that we couldn't already tell from the island. There is a an episode coming up where we learn, you know, that she slept with somebody else and that she was desperately unhappy, that all these other things, and that becomes a bombshell. The fact that she knows English is a surprise, but we don't learn that in the flashback. We learn that on the island. So really, apart from these little glimpses, these hints that we get that her husband is doing some shady business, um, some very violent shady business for her father, we don't come away with this with more information about her than we had at the beginning. It's a lot like the Kate episode in the sense that like we knew that she was a criminal and we don't get an an idea of what she actually did. So it, you really, you've, you've, it's a lateral move. You've built out the character a little bit. You've shaded in the, the border somewhat, but you haven't given us the, the foundation. You haven't given us the core of who this character is. I wonder if, they should have done Jin first. <laughs> I mean, I think Jin's story is more interesting, but then you don't get the moment in this episode, which again, and we'll we'll get to it more when we when we get to it, but when Sun does talk to Michael, that is a big holy shit moment. Like I don't wanna I don't wanna downplay it too much because the rest of the episode was disappointing, but I do remember the first time seeing this episode being like, what? <laughs> she speaks English. Can I tell uh, you something? I do distinctly remember even watching this the first time through as a 13, 14 year old. I assumed that she, one of them would speak English only because I didn't think they would have the show keep going if they didn't speak. <laughs> yes, you are you are genre savvy enough to know that this is not going to work if both of them do not speak English for the entire show. <laughs> Which I would I would have to think, you know, there's got to be at least fifty percent of the audience of Lost was thinking the same thing. I imagine there's definitely people in America who are watching this being like, oh, I had no, oh, what? Uh, but <laughs> I think. You know, a lot of people are just like, okay, yeah, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> but I was, I was surprised. I will say that I, the first time I saw it, I was, I was, I was genuinely like, oh, she has a secret. And then I remembered the show I was watching and everyone <laughs> has a secret. <laughs> so that's, that's where we're getting started with uh, House of the Rising Sun. Should we run through uh, the episode? Let's do it. Okay. So we open on Sun's Eye. 
she's on the beach smelling flowers, and Jin is fishing, and Sun is watching Kate and Jack being so cute. They're they're being very flirtatious with each other. Kate is lightly mocking Jack for his tattoos, saying that they don't add up. And then Charlie says what we're all thinking, which is that they're verbally copulating. This is sweeter between the two of them than we have seen them be. And it's very clear that Sun is watching this and being like, oh, I wish I had that. I wish I had that relationship. It's really nice. And she is shocked out of this reverie by Jin slamming a fish on some wreckage and just being like, oh, right, that's that's my husband. I didn't, I didn't realize that they did that. Uh, but now <laughs> I'm thinking like, oh, yeah. Yep. I, I think I even can remember the sound effect now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is, you know, it's, Jin has a very important skill here. He is great at fishing. But unfortunately, he's not the man that we see in the flashbacks. He has become much more cold and distant. We flash back to a fancy party where Jin is a waiter, and Sun tells him that she wants to run away to the USA, and Jin says he doesn't want to elope, that he wants to earn the respect of her father. Cut to Jin tackling Michael on the beach and administering a violent beatdown. This is something that did bum me out, is how violently Jin shoves Walt. Yeah. It's it's pretty bad, like... I, I it really upset me because I'm on board with beating up Michael. I and and I'll go into more details to why later. But I I am all on board. He had he was in my good graces. But then when Walt says get off my dad, Jin doesn't just like you know get like get out of here. He like he like really like I want to say even grabs and shoves him over. It was bad. It is bad. And it's I was reading an interview with uh, Daniel Day Kim after watching the episode, it's interesting reading about how he really wanted the writers to treat him as more than like a, a stereotype. Part of that was, was not having this was explaining the, the relationship that he had with son. And it must've been hard for him as an actor to have to play this character for so many episodes where we just know him as, as basically a thug, like being, cold and standoffish and really violent as we see in this episode. Cause I don't think, I don't think until this episode we've seen Jin be aggressive in the sense that like, he's actually hurting people. I mean, cause we get, we get the shot later on of him uh, with like blood on his hands. We see him like beating up Michael in the beginning, but up until this, like he's been mean, but not scary. And in this episode, he is very scary. The only thing well, not the only thing. <laughs> there are many things that I would change about this episode. One of the major things I would change, and I don't know if they couldn't do this because it was a network show or whatever, but when we see Michael after this, he looks absolutely fine. He doesn't have a scratch on him. He doesn't have any swelling, no bruises, no contusions. The way it's Jin is shown to, to attack him, Michael's face would be obliterated. He would be so beaten up. Well, it's because the the sand really cushions the. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that we don't see him so beaten up diminishes the act itself. It makes it seem like it doesn't matter. And like the the beating that Jin gives Michael goes on for a while. Like it it's only a, it's it's a I mean in reality it's a few seconds, but that is like that is a long time to get punched in the face repeatedly and Michael is not doing well fighting back. Like it's just hammering him, hammering him. And it's, it's, it's scary. I adore how there were two tackles to the, like the lower, lower back. Cause then <laughs> Saeed winds up tackling Jin there too. Yeah. But I, I mean, I've definitely been headbutted there and that alone <laughs> is enough to make someone limp around for a while. So to go through that and then, as you said, like get pummeled and not have any sort of visible bruising that is nothing. Pretty, yeah. Yeah. As you mentioned, too, I even the way it's shot, it's so it's kind of funny because, you know, Sawyer's like helping Michael get away. And then Saeed's like, help me. And he's like, <laughs> uh, all right. And then he like leaves Michael and goes to help Saeed. Um, it is funny anyway. that it's Saeed and Sawyer who end up breaking it up. Yeah, it's, that was nice. I, I don't know 
if it's just because those are our main characters or they're the only ones who would. It seems like it seems to me that Sawyer would not that he would he would just be watching this and be like, this is funny. I uh, I'm enjoying this. But I don't know who else among the the Losties uh, or the Sox uh, would do it because definitely not Boone. I don't think Boone. I think Boone would try, but I, I <laughs> we really missed out on an opportunity for Boone to get punched in the face. Yeah, no, he would absolutely get punched in the face, fall over, <laughs> pass out. I will say, I think that you can make the argument, although realistically, Sawyer is involved because he has the handcuffs. But you can make the argument that we did see it was like an episode or two ago that he traded a bottle of water for fish so yes, maybe he, right. he was invested because he knows jen's the fish guy and he's gonna want more fish all right that's canon that's it that's the reason <laughs> i will i will accept this this is that is a valid answer <laughs> so they handcuff Jin. jack uh leads the group to water we notice that charlie is getting twitchy he's in a bad mood he's looking pretty strung out and then Charlie stands on a beehive, which until this show, I did not know that is a thing that could happen. Uh, but I can tell you from personal experience later in life, uh, bees definitely can make their hives underground and it is not fun. Okay, pause. This plan. <laughs> you want to talk about a bad episode. What makes a bad episode? They even have Charlie say, this is the worst plan I've ever heard. Can you, can, I, 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 I do remember you telling me that, yes, beehives can be on the ground. Fine. I'll accept that. <laughs> can you tell me what, it, what are they trying to achieve with the suitcase? So what it seems like to me is that Jack is trying to cover the beehive so that when Charlie moves, that the bees won't freak out, which when Charlie breaks the beehive, that plan she'll, still should have worked. If Jack put, if he just put the bag on top of the hive, it wouldn't completely mitigate the problem, but the bees would be mostly trapped inside. It seems that everybody just freaked out at the same time because they all hate bees. <laughs> Look, we needed to get Kate to take her shirt off, Derek. That's, yeah, that, that's what this is about, okay? That was my second question because... If I'm covered in bees, I am not losing a layer of clothing. I'm I think I, I definitely would. I think I, I, I would. But I do, you I, would? Do, I do search for reasons to get naked all the time. So, no, <laughs> I will tell you. So I think, again, what makes a good episode of Lost, what makes a bad episode of Lost, a bad episode of Lost is contrived. And this feels very contrived. It felt like they were looking for a place to put an action beat and they wanted to have Locke, you know, shadowing Charlie and to to have some idea to give his like wilderness knowledge out but it just doesn't it doesn't feel right it seems like even if charlie is oblivious and you know trying to get away to you know do his heroin i don't know it it feels overly dramatic which i know is 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 a i don't know if that's the right thing to to call loss because everything is overly dramatic but yeah it just it seems it seems it's not dumb because it's fun, but it's <laughs> it's it's pretty dumb, and <laughs> I don't think it translates. It's pretty I dumb. Was You're right. Very confused, not just <laughs> with the beehive on the ground, which again I get that that's a real thing, but that was confusing. Cover it with a suitcase didn't make sense to me, <laughs> and then stripping down to fling off. I I was. Like you said, it's it feels contrived. <laughs> All right. Well, back on the beach, Saeed tells Michael he's from Tikrit, Iraq. Uh, I did like the, the touch of um, Saeed telling Michael I'm from Tikrit and then looking at him and just being like, it, Iraq. Like, it's, it's like, I know you don't yes, know what that is. A thousand uh, percent. That's, again, like, kind of like the Hurley's, you know, again, not to uh, admonish casual racism, but referring to the Koreans as Chinese people because he doesn't know. The fact I that, would, yeah, he I, keeps referring to them as Chinese when I think everybody else on the beach knows that they're Korean. Yeah, it, but it's Hurley, so I forgive it. But yeah, I, I you know, you know Hurley's not doing it from a place of, of, yeah. of hatred or uh, it's just ignorance. I, and I just be like, in that same vein, I do love Decrete. 
Eddie, there's that beat where, yeah, Michael <laughs> being from the United States is like, where? <laughs> Iraq. Like, it's just, it's such a very, it was an expertly done. Navy and Andrews, gold star for that. He, yeah, he really does. He really gives off that air of having dealt with both casual and overt racism his whole life and just being over it and just being like, okay, fine. Here's, I'm going to, I'm going to help you out here. I'm not going to make you struggle for this. It's not worth it. Michael tells the beach that Korean people don't like black people. And then we'll later have to explain what he meant to his son. We and flash- that is where I want to pause as well. <laughs> this, this, like, I, Michael, I don't like him. I haven't liked him. And this to me was like, I can't imagine being in a, being a fly on the wall in the writer's room. Be like, you guys, you got to make this guy at least a little bit likable <laughs> because Boone, as we have seen on this rewatch, like he's incompetent, but there's something endearing about him. <laughs> Michael immediately goes with the race card. I'm going to tell you and- something. I really like Michael in this episode. I oh, um no. I do. Here's what I what I like and what I don't like. I like Michael because he feels very real to me. Like his reactions to things, his being overwhelmed, his sense of victimhood, all of that feels very real to me. And I think it's a little ridiculous for even if Michael thinks that Jin is racist against him, he should know better than to just think, well, the reason he tackled me and tried to murder me on the beach was just because Korean people don't like black people. That's ridiculous. Like, that's the thing. Like, it, there was a better way for Michael to give this little speech, and instead he says, he tried to kill me because where I come from, people like him don't like people like me. And it's like, that's not, you've been on this beach for, what, a week? And just now this this man decides to just murder you in front of everybody? Like, e- even you, Michael, have to know there's something else going on here. Well, and that's so I do thing. agree with you on that. But Saeed is coming at him saying, is there any reason <laughs> this man would try and kill you? And we know from the last episode that Michael, who also doesn't know that son speaks English, saw her naked. (laughs) And for all he knows, maybe she made that comment to her husband in Korea. Like that is totally what I thought was going to happen. Like it's been long enough since I've seen this episode that I'm like, Oh, is he going to give her like annoying look and be like, did you, did you tell him like that, that I saw you, but no, it's, he's so oblivious. (laughs) It is, it's dumb. They make him come off as dumb here. And I, I don't think, I think it's wrong. I think it's, I think it's wrong on the part of the writers, not wrong on the part of the character. I think that he's got his, he's got his blood pumping and he's, and he's mad and he's upset. I do remember thinking at the time, oh man, the show's really going there. They're, they're getting into the, the, the racial politics of, of living on an island and trying to form a society. But then on second thought, it's like, that's why you think he's trying to murder you? But on the flip side of that, Jin's response to that man has my watch is, I'm going to brutalize him in front of his child and try to m- kill and drown him on the beach. Like, that's not that's not rational either. That's a good point. The craziest thing to me is is when we find out at the end that it's all about the watch, it's like, what has happened to Jin that he can't i mean i get that he's frustrated he doesn't he doesn't understand anything anybody's saying and that would definitely drive me crazy but would it drive me crazy to the point that just seeing the watch on somebody else's hand would make me lash out like that no yeah all that son says at the end is like my husband has a temper it's like your husband is a psychopath that's that's what that is <laughs> that's not a, that's not a temper all right in the flashback Jin tells Sun uh, that he got her father's permission, but he has to work for him for two years, effectively. And the note that I wrote here is, Daniel Day Kim has a great smile. (laughs) He really does. And it is, I think, the first time he has smiled in this show. 
that smile he gives his wife um, or his soon-to-be wife, he looks so charming. And you're like, this, who's this guy? Where's this guy been? And I get that that's the point of the flashback, to be like, how does, how does this guy go to this guy? But it really, as you said before, that like maybe it would have made more sense to have the Jin flashback first because we don't get enough. It feels so fragmented, the glimpses that we get. And we don't – we obviously know we're going to get more of the story because the show has given us enough flashbacks now that we know that like Jin's flashback is definitely coming and we're going to fill in the, the jigsaw puzzle here. But it's missing. I will – I don't think that it was obvious we would get a Jin episode. I think that's a good twist that we do, but because they make it clear that Jin doesn't speak English in this episode, I know there was a part of me that thought he was a supporting character in the same way that I, I don't remember now, actually, if we get Michael or Walt's flashback first, but I remember when we do get Walt's flashback, I was surprised. Yeah, especially when we find out more about what's going on with him, which... Yeah, we'll we'll definitely have more to talk about there. <laughs> um, you remind me of so. Oh, yeah. Uh, sorry about just as an anecdotal thing to that too. And going back in terms of Daniel Day Kim's smile being great, and the fact that he actually speaks English perfectly in real life. Because <laughs> um, I distinctly remember after watching this first season, rewatching Spider Man Two, and seeing Daniel Day Kim helping uh, Doctor Otto Octavius, and. He just says he has like one line where he's like, it's working great, doctor. And I was like, what? Yeah, what? he actually. So his family, I believe, was originally from Korea, South Korea, but he grew up mostly in the United States. In fact, from what I have read, because I've read there's there's conflicting stories about how much Korean he actually spoke when he joined the cast. The interviews that I have read from him, it seems that he had to brush up on some some of his his Korean um, and the specific dialect that he speaks. But from other things that I've read, he almost had to completely relearn Korean because he didn't really speak, only spoke it with his parents and he didn't, he didn't really speak it anymore. Yoon Jin Kim moved to America at the age of 10. So her Korean is much better than his from what I have read from other people talking about, from native speakers online. <laughs> Well, anyway, but I also did like uh, they give us a glimmer of his sense of humor when he does approach Sun in this flashback, uh, seemingly, you know, oh, did, did you not? Did you got? I'm kidding. Oh, you. <laughs> it's a nice moment, and they um, they they seem cute together. And I want more of. I wish we could have gotten a little bit more about how they first met because clearly she comes from wealth and privilege, and he does. He very much does not. We get, like, the middle of their relationship to, like, the tail end of their relationship, and I would have liked to have seen more of the early days of them courting, which I can't remember if we do see that, because I know we eventually get his his story, his family story, but I don't remember how much more we see. I think your analysis that it's a table setting is so accurate for that reason, because, yeah, we, we do see there's clearly a class distinction, but it's not stressed in this episode. Yeah. It's obviously this has to do with him working for her father and she gives that glimmer of, oh, I don't think that's such a good idea. (laughs) But they don't really show, yeah, that he's born from a fisherman, even though you could pick up from watching the show, I guess. It's like, oh, oh, he's a, he's catching fish and like, you know, (laughs) but I guess the fishing part that Jin's backstory is understated. And son's flashbacks are flat. I don't know. I, there's something. Flat. It yeah. does feel flat. Especially because we only see her in basically outside her father's, I don't know, house or business or something. Then we have a few flashbacks of her in the apartment and then she's in the airport. Like it doesn't, it's always her just in a space, but not actually acting in the space. I, I made a, a note about that where I was like, oh, they added a dog as a way to show passage of time mm. because we are bored. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise we're not business know. with the dog. Yeah. It's yeah. It's uh, oh, well, all right. We'll, um, we'll move forward. Jack and Kate take their shirts off running from the CGBs. Kate finds a mummified body for what it's worth. And I am not a scientist, but my understanding is 
a jungle climate would turn a dead body into soup and not turn it into a mummy. My, I, I believe that in order to make a natural mummy, you need to be in a very dry, arid place where all the moisture can be sucked out of them, not where they are in a humid jungle that is full of water and moisture. That sounds we'll, right. We'll say magic. We'll say magic. Jack says... It takes 40 to 50 years for clothing to degrade like this. And unfortunately, this is another thing where retrospect, uh, retroactively, he's super wrong about this. Because if I'm remembering correctly, the corpses here are the mother, uh, the Al played by Allison Janney, and the men in black. And they die like hundreds of years before the events of Lost take place. I know that when Richard arrives on the island, it's in like the 1800s, and the man in black is already smoky by then. Oh, yeah. So it takes place at least 200 years. So, yeah, so he's dead at least 200 years before Lost happens. And I believe much longer than that. And obviously, again, the writers don't know, but it is one of the things that, like, if you take the series as a whole... Jack is way off on this, and which is fine. He wouldn't know. Jack wouldn't have to know that. But he says it with such authority that it's I – do, I do have to point my finger at it and be like, well, not correct. Uh, and he finds a little pouch with black and white stones, uh, once again setting up that uh, those diametric opposites, um, which Locke also when he's playing – is it Backgammon? Backgammon, yes. It's backgammon. And then we get a joke – we get a joke from Charlie where Kate says her shirt was full of bees. And Charlie says, I would have thought C's. What do we think of this joke? I like it. <laughs> I am ashamed that I like it. I think she it, gives him such a dirty look. Yeah. And he does apologize, but I. <laughs> it feels very out of place. And I did cringe a little bit. But I also think it's a funny line. <laughs> it was a it was a very James Bond kind of line where it's I don't know how familiar you are with these with the James Bond series, but basically more so in like the earlier James Bond movies, like he would make a terrible pun like that, where it's like everybody in the audience would just be like, "Oh, James, what a what a what a cad." <laughs> um, but yeah, it's I think I felt the same way. Where I was like. Like, first of all, great, great timing, Charlie. You you jumped right on that joke, but you instantly knew it was a bad idea. His I think what's what makes the joke so funny is that Charlie knows he's out of line and was really trying to lighten things up and um didn't work. Nobody nobody thought it was funny because they're all sour pusses. Kate's allowed to not <laughs> think it's funny. That's fine. But but Jack and Locker just like, shame on you, Charlie. How dare you even try to make a joke? <laughs> Locke is very interested in the corpses. Um, he names them our very own Adam and Eve. I really like how, for most of the episode, Locke comes off as very aloof and then cool as a cucumber, you know, has, you know, is very in tune with the... But as soon as, like, Jack's like, oh, we found corpses, uh, Locke's like, oh, what? What? Huh? Like, it's... He's, he's very much nerding out. He wants to know the lore of the island. And it was very... It was cool. Jack says it makes more sense to bring the camp to the cave. Um, once again... He mentions that there are 46 people uh, on the beach. I've made the note here, which we've already talked about, for the massive beating that Michael has received, his face should be really fucked up. Walt tells Michael that his mom never talked about him, which uh, is, I, as, a, as a father, that, that I could feel like, feel Michael's pain on that. I, and uh, I think Michael plays that well. And point for Michael here, at least he knows Walt's birthday. That's he true. knows when his birthday, he knows the date of his birthday. And I was like, I was just like, thank God the writers finally gave him something. Like, Jesus Christ. But. Oh, boy. Immediately undercut when he asks a child, when's mine? <laughs> that is, that is very much a new dad thing, though. That is what's something that a man would say who has not raised the child from a, from a child. You know as a father, that you, you do not expect them to, to know anything about you, and whatever they do think is adorable or wrong. 
but not if you haven't raised a kid. Like if you've just been given a kid two weeks ago, you think that that is a, a that is a way to win an argument. I'm not gonna put that on Michael. I'm gonna say, all right, like, all right, that's fine. You would you would know if you would raise this child for when it was a baby, you would instantly know that that's not something you say. That's a good point. I I'm just reminded of like all those because um, I know one of my favorite parenting things was when talks about picking your battles yep. and they they mentioned like you know if you're trying to talk to your child and they're like come here the worst thing you can do as a parent is be like no you come here and it's like just go like this is not the fight you want to be having like <laughs> yep if there's something you got to talk about go to the you know like i it just it felt it's so petty but also i your point yes that would be in character new dad like oh show me empathy i deserve it um <laughs> but here's and, the question uh, do the writers know that? Dude. We flash back to uh, Jin coming home with blood on him. And Sun asks what he does for her father. And he says he does whatever her father tells him to. And it is a chilling line delivery. It's really, it's really creepy. I credit both of them here. Uh, but Jin really, this is the first, uh, in the flashbacks anyway, the first glimpse you see of him being just cold as ice. And it is, it is scary. And I... I do remember, you know, not liking Jin at all at this point, you know, when I was first watching the show and Jin's flashbacks really like flipping everything around and seeing like how he's really like pushed into this. And, you know, he really is just trying to do everything for her. And I would be curious to know, speaking of writers, if they initially wrote the Jin and Son episodes as like one part and then broke it up into two episodes. And if that is one of the reasons why it feels so fragmented. Because the Jin stuff, I remember really liking the Jin stuff. And in this, like, I just I just hate him. And I know we're supposed to. Like, you're supposed to dislike him. And that's why the show will will flip it on you. But, uh, but oof, he really plays like a real, real cold guy here. Yeah. I think you nailed it with the table setting. It does, especially with what we know. And again, in retrospect, I think that's half the reason I hate this episode. Yeah. Or maybe not. Maybe hate's too strong. But I, <laughs> on the scale, like, you know, I was lukewarm on the Jack one. I was at like a C or a C plus or something. And you did remind me like, this is, this, is, this is a solid B episode. But this was the one where I was like, I don't like this. I don't know why <laughs> we're watching the show. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I mean, in retrospect, it's just like, because I know Sun to be a hundred percent well and you know maybe actually i don't you know what <laughs> i i just i for some reason i recall son knowing what her father is and what he does and therefore Jin feeling like he's been manipulated and taken it like a very macbeth lady macbeth kind of thing but i, I now that i think about it, i don't know that that's right because the confrontation i'm thinking of is when son returns from the island and basically threatens her father and I'm wondering now, oh, did I, did she maybe, she just knew that he was powerful and maybe dangerous, but only after she witnessed the brainwashing of her husband that she <laughs> confronts. I don't know. My take on it from this episode is that she knows her father is very powerful and gets what he wants. I don't get the impression from the episode that she knows that he's like a crime boss or anything like that. But I do think I think there's there's room for interpretation there. It does. But from this, you're right. Actually, no, I take back what I said from. Yeah, you are right. From what we've seen, it does seem like she's utterly shocked that Jin is doing this. It is she really she's like, she's like what do you do for my father? It's like oh, shame on you. Well, this was a point I was going to mention when when you covered it. How, how do you think she feels when she sees that Jin has brought her a diamond. I remember, so she, he gives her the diamond and she gives the diamond a look over her shoulder when they're hugging, right? Like yeah. She gives it a very specific look. And I can't tell if the, so, so the way that I would be playing it is, or the way that I would think that it would be played is she looks at the diamond and she's worried. But the look that she gives the diamond is more just sort of like, oh, I can't believe you got me a diamond. This is great. And, like, maybe I'm misinterpreting the look. Like, maybe it's no. wrong. It does seem more like she's like, oh, I'm so happy he did get me a diamond. Not not like, oh, this bodes, this does not bode well. This is. 
I'm very this, worried about this. I'm glad you said this. This is exactly how I felt because, and this is why at the beginning I, I mentioned that we had, we've been talking about how since the pilot we have the actors dialed into their characters. I may not like Michael, but he's consistent, or the actor is portraying Michael as consistently as possible. Yeah. Son, yeah, it seems like she's interested in the diamond. Yeah. And the thought that I had in my head, again, I had Spider-Man 2 on the mind because Dano Day Kim has that one line. Um, <laughs> but especially in hindsight, the ending of Spider-Man 2 has only grown on me, where you have Mary Jane staring out the window, like, go get him, Tiger. And then it like, the music kind of like dials down and she just uh-huh. kind of looks sad yeah. and it ends. And it's one of the most haunting endings to a superhero movie. Yeah. I think a lot of people forget about that. Like they remember her like running in the wedding dress and being like, you know, telling him tiger, but yeah, it is, it is a pensive downer kind of ending to be like, Oh no, she's going to be waiting for him staring out this window for the rest of their relationship. If they're together, it is a very, I think that it is a ending that very much evokes the ending of the graduate. Have you seen the graduate? Yes. Yeah. I yeah. actually, as someone who used to listen to a lot of director commentaries, I know they did. They mentioned this in the credits. Bam. Yes. Uh, okay. You're a hundred percent on the money. That was intentional. And it's very much like it's, it's almost like with the catcher in the rye where like you read it one way when you're a kid and you see the ending of the graduate and you're like, Oh great. But if you're not paying attention, like look at their faces when they're in that bus at the end, it's like, Oh wait, now what that? Oh, mm. and I also love that. They both just kind of look forward and they're like, yeah, yeah. And then the bus keeps going. And then they're like, Oh, <laughs> like it, you know, those great, it was like, oh, such a kick in the balls, uh, such a grand romantic gesture yeah. undercut by, uh, yeah. And then, I don't even know if this relationship is going to work out. Nope. <laughs> like, <laughs> nope. Yeah. So, wait, where were we? Uh, sorry. Basically, all I'm trying to say is that when <laughs> Sun looks at the diamond. Yes. Okay. It seems like she's, she's excited about the diamond. Yeah, she seems and, happy. Not like, oh, dear, I wonder what this cost or, or what this yeah. will cost my husband, you know, like, uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, she seems excited. She seems like, oh, I, you know, he got me the diamonds. It's great. The next thing we have. Oh, this scene. OK, this next scene I have written that this is almost a sitcom moment. And it is Kate and Jack are walking back to the beach. Kate is sweaty. But I think she looks perhaps the best she has ever looked on this show. She looks, she, she's glowing. She's radiant. She bends over and asks Jack if he's checking her out, which is a continuation from their flirtiness from before. And, you know, it seems like this is where the, the episode's been going, although it does feel a little forced because they, you know, they were flirting on the beach. She's talking, she's teasing him about his tattoos. They took their shirts off at the cave. And now she's, you know, he's like, she asks if he's checking her out. All he wants to talk about is the cave. It is the most sitcom thing where it's just like, hey, anything you like? It's like, oh, man, well, let me tell you about this lawnmower that I just found. It's like, rub a dub a dub a dub a She is so visibly disappointed. And I get that it's a TV show and she's doing that for us. And I get that Jack isn't great with social cues. But, oh, my God, Jack, look at this woman. Look at her face. Do you not I, understand how badly you have messed up? I adored that so much. So, uh, I hated it. It's so stupid. To be fair, this is more consistent with the Kate and Jack that they have shown us thus far. Of Simultaneously, yes, there could be something there. You guys are not on the same wavelength. Not at all. <laughs> not I at did all. love. <laughs> she makes a very open bit. Like She was, as you mentioned, visibly disgusted when Charlie made a joke about her boobs. But she is inviting Jack yes. to check her out and saying, that's okay with me because we're, uh, we get each yes. other. And Matthew Fox isn't even, you know, in a way that a character like Hurley would be like, no, I, I wasn't. I wasn't, you know, being embarrassed and yeah. tripping over themselves. No, Matthew Fox is genuinely just thinking, uh, what's uh, surgically, if you, or uh, what's the <laughs> word for it? No, 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 no. Uh, prescriptively. He's like, you know. I think we've got, we've got so much water here. And it's just like, oh, you're, you're really, you weren't checking me out at all. Like Kate is all but throwing herself at Jack. Yes. 
She even said, it's like, it's all right if you were checking me out. And he's just like, yeah, you know what? Caves are great. You know what's great about caves? There's water in there. There's shelter in there. It's so great. We don't need to stay out at Stinky Beach. <laughs> she just looks at him. She's like, oh, my God. The look that Kate gives him, I think, is the look that any married man knows. Uh, we're just sort of like, oh, I, I, said, I said the wrong thing. I did, the, I did, I did a bad I'm going to be feeling this bad for a long time. <laughs> I forgot that I saddled my horse to this wagon. <laughs> um, Locke says he is following Charlie. Charlie is so excited that Locke knows who he is. Uh, you feel so good for Charlie in that moment. He tells Charlie he'll see his guitar again. On the beach, Saeed, once again, makes a great point. That Jack didn't consult anyone when he decided to move everybody to the cave. He is very much against the plan because Said is one of the people, Kate included, who just wants to get off the island. Who just does not want to be here and thinks it is it's only going to hide them from any possible rescue. Hurley, being the great audience surrogate that he is, asks what's up with Jack and Kate. Sawyer says that Said is also into Kate and calls him Captain Falafel. What's interesting is that we noticed that it seemed like, I think it's in either the second part of the pilot or the third episode, where it seems like there's like a little bit of a spark between Saeed and Kate, but literally it was just that episode and it's never come up again. And it's almost like Sawyer is reminding us like, hey, remember when they kind of had a thing like a few episodes ago? Because past that point, I don't think there's been anything between Saeed and Kate at all. So it's it's weird. It's almost like there was supposed to be more there that either they got cut or they forgot that that, that they were supposed to put that in. Well, we'll have to keep track of these writers things. Cause I, I, yeah. Like I'd be curious what, who was on that episode. Yeah. Cause it really did feel that way. And it seemed like both the actors played it that way. Yeah. And then, yeah. They then just nothing. back off. In the flashback, Jin is clearly holding a dog treat to get the dog to bother him. Sons. Oh, I did not know. <laughs> That. Yeah, if you look, there's also there's another thing that happens in the background later on that I will also bring up. Um, but it's very clear that he has like a closed fist and the dog is trying to get to the treat. It's uh, it's very cute. It's hilarious. Son's decorator is secretly helping her run away, which I totally understand. Uh, her life seems horrible. We go back to the island. Son confronts Michael and speaks English. What? She says that Jin attacked him because of the watch he found. She says that she hasn't told Jin that she speaks English because he has a bad temper. Uh, we've already talked about that. She is really underselling it. Locke says he wants to help Charlie. He says painful detox is inevitable, but at least this way it's your choice. He points up and Charlie sees his guitar and Charlie smiles when he sees it and starts crying. I thought it was a beautiful little moment from Dominic Monaghan. It was, a, it was one of the few moments in this episode that I genuinely thought was good. I think that bit of acting between the two of them, and especially with Dominic Monaghan, that actually got me. Like that look on his face, um, it was really, it was a really nice moment. Well, and you know, I, I, and I again, I'm, I am so, I'm trying to temper my expectations because I remember being floored by the moth. The next episode on our list, and I mean, partly because I was already a Charlie fan at that point, so I was like, "Yeah!" And then I was oh, yeah. like, "Oh, this is a great episode." <laughs> um, but as you mentioned, I also think as great as that moment is, it like this is what made me also think like, "Yeah, table setting as as the thesis for this episode," because yeah, ultimately this is setting up the next episode. It's like giving us that prelude, yeah. um, and and reminding me I'd rather be watching Locke and Charlie. <laughs> uh, anyway Kate tells Jack she can't dig in Jack asks her how she got to be this way what did she do and she says he had his chance to know and I am sad to say that this is an early glimpse of some of the dumb stuff that Lost pulls later on when it's like just tell him like there's there's no reason to act like an angry toddler here like I this is one of the few times when I, well, I'll even I'll accept it a little bit because it's like Kate really wanted Jack to just be like, let's just hook up. Let's just do it. Let's just let's just get crazy. Let's see what happened. And she clearly, after letting her guard down, has put it all the way back up. And you know what? It's fine. It hurts. I get it. But it does it, it does seem very childish. It's like, I was going to tell you when you said you didn't care. So I'm not going to tell you now, Jack. You poopy head. <laughs> that's, that's good. This whole Kate characterization thing of 
uh, I, I don't want to tell. It's like, why did you want to tell him to begin with? Like, I, <laughs> he is the one person. He doesn't know. You've been on the run for 20 years, you know, whatever it's been. I, I, anyway. We go to uh, Michael's monologue to Jin, which I think is great. I know that you don't. I loved it. I loved every moment. I love how mad he is. I love him threatening him with the axe. I just, I love his exasperation. It's one of the things that I love the most about Harold Perrineau. And I think that he really brings that frustration to Michael. He really brings the, the most realistic exasperation of being like, so many of the other characters are all off in their own thing and they're all like dealing with it as well as they can. And Michael never seems like he's dealing with it well. He is on an island. He is on a haunted damn island in the haunted damn jungle with his son that he just met and nothing is going well. And he always plays that. And I, I, I really respect it. And that desperation comes out in this monologue. I think it's great. Also, $20,000 watch? What the hell? Anyway, I, uh, I love it. Tell me why you don't like it. I meant to rewatch this prior to this because I just remember as he's because he knows black. Jin can't understand him, and it's he's yeah, just yeah, he's yelling for himself more than anything. I he's know. trying to get the point across to Jin, but it's really for him that he's just he's just letting it all out in like a primal scream. I guess maybe that's maybe it's a no. I don't know. I I didn't like it. I felt like he knows that Jin can't speak English, and it looks as threatening as he wants it to be by holding an ax. And I think it's genuinely funny. Like, I think that he really toes a, a nice line between anger and making it funny. Like, it's a funny moment. I think it's played exactly right. And I, I have to give him a lot of credit for that. All right. Well, I will say one last thing is, I, I know we talked about purgatory and how that does seem to be the thing that they're going with. And... Of course, his speech does end with time has no meaning on this island. <laughs> yep. And it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there it is again. The flashback with Sun. When Sun decides not to leave Jin and she's crying and she's looking at him holding the flower, there is a woman behind Sun in the line who is trying desperately not to look at the camera and failing. And I want you to, if when you have time, I want you to go back to that moment and look at she is a blonde woman. She is right behind your son's shoulder, and she is trying so hard not to look at the camera, and she can't do it. <laughs> it's great. I I will absolutely do. It. I will also check out this Michael monologue again because I, okay. I do want to give it another look. There are a handful of things that I would love to, in a part two to cover because again, I know I mentioned this briefly. I would like to talk about how much we miss or appreciate Boone, Shannon, and Claire yep. because. It is dry without them. It is. And, it is. <laughs> they were nowhere to be seen in this episode. And then the other thing, that this might even be more of the Moth episode anyway, but I was curious whose side you were on, Jack or Saeed's. Oh, that's a good the, question. Because I'm, I'm torn on it, and I really, I really don't know. I'm Team Beach, I think. If it were me in that situation, I would want to stay on the beach to try to be found. I don't think I'm going into the haunted damn jungle. Yeah, what did I write? Because I, I, I would assume really... you would be Team Cave because you don't know why people want to leave the island. Yeah, I I'm making an argument here for Team Jack. I was like, you've got a plane missing and a colossal fuselage uh, <laughs> on the island, so it's not as though you need a fire, and it's not as though the shore covers all your bases. You've got at least three more shores. <laughs> um, I don't definitively go Team Jack, but. I, 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 I was kind of Team Jack on this. Although I do think that Beach... Although then you got to deal with Michael. 